Well, brothers and sisters, please open with me in God's Word to Revelation chapter 22. Revelation 22, as we finish our study here through the book of Revelation. And as you're turning here, I wonder if there's ever been a time where you have become so immersed in a story that you simply don't want the story to end. Where you're watching a movie, and as the credits roll, you wish that it would have continued. Or as you have reached the last pages of a book, that you don't want to come to the final two words, the end. In many ways, this is how I feel as we reach the end of our study here in the book of Revelation, and really the end of all Scripture that is revealed to us. Because it is with these words that God's story from creation to new creation is complete. And so it is then as we reach these words, we come to the end of what God reveals through this book. And here in these words, God asks how we will respond to the history that is unfolded and progressed through its pages. So let us read here together Revelation 22, verses 10 to 21. And he said to me, Do not seal the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. He who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He who is holy, let him be holy still. And behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life, and may enter through the gates into the city. But outside are dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices a lie. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. And the spirit and the bride say, come and let him who hears say, come and let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming quickly. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Amen. Now, brothers and sisters, let us again come before our God in prayer. O Lord, with these words, we reach the end of your revelation to us in Scripture. 
And so we pray that you will speak to us, Father, this morning through these words as they are preached. Oh, Father, we pray that you will open our minds and illuminate your truths so that we will receive them into our very hearts and that we will then live before your throne as those saved by grace who will persevere in our faith until Christ returns. So Lord, oh, give us the grace to receive this message so that any of us here this morning who are outside of Christ will receive His redemption. That all of those of us who are inside of Christ's grace, who have been saved through His shed blood, will receive the encouragement and the comfort that You give in these words so that we will endure in this world. So Father, use me as the means through which Your Word is made known. And as your spirit works in the hearts and lives of those who are gathered here, that we pray for these things in the name of our glorious Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So as God's story of redemption comes to an end, what are his final words to us? It's that Jesus Christ is returning soon. Jesus Christ is returning soon. So are you ready for Jesus' return? Are you ready for Jesus' return? Because it's in these final words that we see first the nearness of Christ's return in verses 10 to 11, followed by the reward of Christ's return in verses 12 to 17, and then the distortion of of Christ's return in verses 18 and 19, and finally the encouragement of Christ's return in verses 20 to 21. So there, there, there's four parts here, four headings to remember as we work through the nearness of Christ's return, the reward of Christ's return, the distortion of Christ's return, and finally the encouragement of Christ's return. So let's begin in verses 10 to 11 by looking at the nearness of Christ's return. Of course, the Apostle John has been recording these symbolic visions of prophecy from God in this book to encourage Christ's churches as we struggle and suffer in this present evil age. Because we live in a time that is filled with temptations and with trials and with troubles and with tribulation. We are fighting in a spiritual war against Satan, our adversary, and his control over the powers of this world. But in Revelation, we see that God is sitting on his throne. And he's ruling over this world from heaven as he carries out his redemptive plan of salvation in this world through Jesus Christ. So Christ is the powerful lion and the sacrificial lamb who offers himself in the place of his church through his death on the cross so that that our sins are forgiven, that God's righteous wrath is satisfied. 
And when God's plan of redemption is complete, then Christ will return to restore justice in this world and to judge the nations for their opposition to God and for their oppression of his people as our enemies are condemned to an eternal conscious torment in the lake of fire. And once his judgment is complete... All of those who have been redeemed by Christ's blood will enter into a new heaven and a new earth where we will enjoy dwelling in the very presence of God. See, brothers and sisters, we will finally become who God has created us to be, which is glorified saints who live with him forever in a renewed and a purified world to come where we enter into this eternal rest of a perfected Garden of Eden, which has become a temple city that spread throughout the globe. That's why after seeing these things, John hears from Christ in verse 7, Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. And at this point, John has become so overwhelmed at what he has seen and what he has heard that he falls down to worship this angel. The angel who has shown him these things, and and this is the second time that, that John has fallen down. So the angel once more corrects him, saying that God alone is the one who deserves our worship because we are all servants of God who look forward to this glorious future in his presence. Which then brings us to verse 10. And in verse 10, the angel continues speaking to John. After correcting him, the angel says, Do not seal the words of the prophecy of this book. For the time is at hand. Now remember, a seal would be set on a scroll in the ancient world by pressing a ring down into hot wax to show that it was being delivered by the authority of the one with the ring and must not be opened until it reached the one who is supposed to read it. And this is the imagery that is used here. But Revelation frequently draws on the Old Testament prophets, and the background of this verse is once again found in the book of Daniel, as we've seen throughout Revelation. See, at the end of a vision that Daniel receives in chapter 8 of his book, Daniel is told in verse 26, And the vision of the evenings and mornings which was told is true, therefore seal up the vision, for it refers to many days in the future. But then listen to what God tells Daniel at the end of his book. So Daniel chapter 12, verses 4 to 13. This is what God tells Daniel to do. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Then I, Daniel, looked, and there stood two others, one on this river bank and the other on that river bank. And one said to the man clothed in linen, who is above the waters of the river, How long shall the fulfillment of these wonders be? 
Then I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river when he held up his right hand and his left hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it shall be for a time, times, and half a time. And when the power of the holy people has been completely shattered, all these things shall be finished. Although I heard, I did not understand. Then I said, my Lord, what shall be the end of these things? And he said, go your way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. Many shall be purified, made white and refined, but the wicked shall do wickedly. And none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. And from the time that daily sacrifice is taken away and the abomination of desolation is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and comes to the 1,335 days. But you go your way till the end, for you shall rest and will arise to your inheritance at the end of days. So through all of this, we see Daniel's visions are sealed because they refer to many days in his future. And God's word to Daniel are closed up and sealed until this time of the end. So compare then to what Daniel heard with what John hears. Daniel is to seal the words of his prophecy because they refer to many days in the future, but John is is not to seal the words of his prophecy because the time is at hand. So what's the difference? Well, Daniel's visions were not for his own time, but were concerning a future time of the end, which is why they would not be understood and would remain sealed until this time came. But with the coming of Christ into this world, a new age has dawned, and the time of this age is drawing to a close. And so these visions are to remain unsealed so that we will understand this message and will persevere through this overlapping time of spiritual conflict until Christ returns. See, the entire time between the first and second comings of Christ is the time of the end. And this revelation of Christ's triumph then and our victory in him remains open. So we will hear the words of this prophecy and keep them as we expectantly wait for him to come quickly, however much longer it takes for God to accomplish his redemptive plan. But as we just read in Daniel chapter 12, after God speaks of the sealing of his prophecy until the time of the end, this is followed by him saying that, many will be saved while the wicked will also remain in this world and not understand God's word in the hardness of their hearts. And that's also what we see here. Like Daniel 12, here in Revelation 22, now that Christ's return is near, we read that unjust will be unjust, that the filthy will be filthy, that the righteous will be righteous and the holy will be holy. Now, we shouldn't read this as God wanting the unjust and filthy to stay unjust and filthy, right? But as... Let me think about this for a moment. As we, we see God, rather than wanting the unjust and the filthy to stay unjust and filthy, we see God challenging those who are living unjust and filthy lives to repent, 
So they will not be condemned for their sin when Christ returns in judgment. That's really the thrust here of these words. You see, the time of repentance will come to an end when the unjust and filthy will not change. And so those hearing Revelation read to them are confronted here with their readiness for Christ's return. Are they unjust and filthy? Or are they righteous and holy? What will Christ find when he returns? Those who believe in Christ, we see here, must then keep his words and obey him as we persevere through our struggles and suffering so that we will live holy and righteous lives. Of course, we do not do so perfectly or perpetually, but we will do so genuinely out of gratitude for our redemption from slavery to sin through Christ's work for us on the cross. So that when he returns, we will have lived these lives of righteousness and holiness as those ready to receive our reward of blessing from him as a gift of his grace. And this then brings us to what we see next here in these verses. Verses 12 to 17, we move then from the nearness of Christ's return to the reward of Christ's return. So that when we come to these verses, Christ again speaks directly to us as he repeats that he is coming quickly. And what is he bringing with him? His reward. See, this is what God promises through the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 10, we read, Behold, the Lord God shall come with a strong hand, and his arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his work before him. Or later, Isaiah chapter 62, verses 11 to 12, Indeed, the Lord has proclaimed to the end of the world, Say to the daughter of Zion, Surely your salvation is coming. Behold, his reward is with him, and his work before him. And they shall call them the the holy people redeemed of the Lord. And you shall be called sought out a city not forsaken. So there is this reward that comes when Christ returns. What is the reward for those who are saved by Christ? Well, they're the blessings of eternal life dwelling in God's presence. And these are received by Christ's church when everyone is judged according to their work. There is this day coming of final judgment, which Revelation has already shown to us. And in that day, we have seen how Christ has our names written in the book of life. So it's on this day that we will have our justification before God confirmed when Christ's righteousness is counted as ours and our righteous acts done in faith will prove that his grace has been at work in our lives as they are transforming us, as he is transforming us into his image. But listen, as there is a reward for those whose names are written in the book of life, there's also a reward for those whose names are not found in the book of life, a reward for unbelievers when Christ returns. 
because all of those outside of Christ will have their sinfulness exposed before his throne. When they will be condemned for their unrepentant rebellion against God and they'll suffer eternally in hell. These are the words from Christ Himself. And these are the rewards He will bring when He returns. It is this Christ who declares then who He is. That He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. And this is the fourth time that these pairs are used to emphasize God's sovereign control over all of human history. But twice, they refer to God the Father. And twice, they are spoken by Jesus Christ. So Revelation and all of Scripture we see here, even at the end, is a Trinitarian book. Because Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the second person of the divine Trinity, who is equal with God and carries out God's plan in this world. But then John continues to expand upon the reward of blessing that Christ gives to believers in him as the seventh and final beatitude in Revelation is pronounced upon God's people. Depending on your translation, this blessing comes to believers who are either referred to as those who do his commandments or to those who wash their robes. And without getting into the complexities of the different manuscripts upon which our translations are based here, we know that both are true. That those who love Christ will keep his commandments, and that we do his commandments as those who are cleansed by the blood of Christ. This is what we saw back in Revelation 7, 14 of those who come out of the great tribulation, that they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. So there is this purification that takes place in a believer's life where we and all of our dirty rags are cleansed with the filthiness of this world being removed by the blood of Christ as we repent of our sins and receive God's forgiveness for our sins. So it is through this process that we follow Christ and carry out his will for us in this world. See, as Christians, we believe in Christ and we trust in his work alone. Because his death on the cross is the only ground of our salvation, not our obedience to his commandments. However, our obedience to his commandments will be produced as the fruit of our salvation in Christ, which is why we will persevere in our faith and we will receive his blessing when we are judged according to our work. But what then is Christ's blessing? Here it's described as having the right to the tree of life in the glorified Garden of Eden and coming into the immediate presence of God. As we enjoy eternal life dwelling in his presence forever. Because we enter into this temple city 
because its pearly gates are open to us. So it's here that we finally live in the immediate presence of God. As the bride of Christ, as we are brought into the very holy of holies, where His glory will then radiate through all of creation. But in the midst of all of this beauty, brothers and sisters, that we are welcomed into by Christ's grace, the city also has walls, doesn't it? And these walls protect us from our enemies as they keep sinners outside of God's glorious presence. So look at who remain outside of the city. But dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and whoever lives and practices a lie. What graphic descriptions there are here of this wicked world, which includes all sinners who remain in rebellion against God. You know, this is the same list we read of in the previous chapter, chapter 21, verse 8, who shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. So this is not a suburb outside of heaven for sinners. This is a place of punishment and torment away from God's glorious presence and Christ's blessing. These then are reassuring words for those who will receive Christ's blessing inside of the city because we will never be tempted or threatened by those outside of the city ever again. But these are also words of warning for those who continue their selfish lives of sinfulness, because this blessing is not for you. You will remain outside of the city under God's wrath for your wickedness. And we know all of this will happen again because these are the words that come from Jesus Christ himself why he testifies to the truthfulness of what he has revealed to these churches through John. So it is Christ who is the one sending his angel to show these visions to John so that we will be encouraged as we struggle and suffer. But also we will be warned of what will happen to those who compromise and to, for those who forsake their faith in Christ. Because what the angel reveals to us through this book comes from Christ himself. So in doing so, we find here two more declarations of who Christ is. Here first, that he is the root and offspring of David. Repeating then Jesus' identity from chapter 5, verse 5, which is drawn from Isaiah chapter 11. This means he is the promised Messiah and King from David's family tree who will triumph over our enemies in this world. And not only is he the root and offspring of David, secondly, Christ is the bright and morning star. And this is drawn from Numbers 24, verse 17, where God promises the coming of a star that shall come out of Jacob. And it is the star that shines in all of its glory that we will then share in this glory. 
as those who overcome this world, according to Revelation 2, verse 28. So here, as Revelation draws to a close, there is a final invitation that is given to all who hear this message until Christ returns. What do the Spirit and the Bride say? Come! Come to Christ! Come to Christ! The third person of our Trinitarian God combines His voice with the voice of the church of Christ to say to all, Come! Come to Christ for your salvation. Come to Christ for eternal life. Come to Christ so that you will receive the reward of dwelling in God's presence. And those who hear and believe will then join in this invitation for others to come. Because this is what we continue to proclaim and preach through this age to all come to Christ. And who are those who come to Christ? But him who thirsts. Because our souls are dry and parched in the deadness of our sin. Which is why we need to drink of this water of life that Christ freely gives. You see then how whoever desires can take of this water of life freely. And this invitation is open to all, to everyone. To all who desire to take of the water of life in Christ, it is yours to drink freely. So come to Christ. Oh, come to Christ. What in this world can compare to the glories to come when we receive our reward from Him? Because when Christ returns, there are only two outcomes of His judgment. So drink of the water of life freely by turning away from your sins in repentance and turning to Christ in faith. Listen, in Christ you will be blessed with the right to eat of the tree of life and to enter into the gates of His glorious city. Come to Christ and receive His reward of blessing. Well, this then brings us in verses 18 and 19 as we continue to see not only the nearness of Christ's turn followed by the reward of Christ's return, but then also the distortion of Christ's return. See, as this book draws to a close, Jesus himself speaks again to warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. Because we face challenges and dangers as we wait for Christ's return. And so he here is sounding a siren to loudly warn us of how we can fall into two opposite traps as we hear and read of God's revelation to us. And what is Christ warning us of here? Well, not to tamper with or twist his message 
as has been recorded for us in this book. See, the same warning has previously been given to God's people in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 2, You shall not add to the word which I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you. Or Deuteronomy 12, verse 32, Whatever I command you, be careful to observe it. You shall not add to it, nor take away from it. You see then that we must not add to these things. And this means more than simply writing additional things down and trying to staple them at the end of the pages of Scripture. This is what the false teachers have done and continue to do. They add to God's Word with their own teaching. And in doing so, they then distort who God is and they diminish the gospel of Christ in order to deceive His church. This is, after all, what Jesus had been warning the churches of here, that Revelation had been sent to, these seven churches. Which means that whenever we teach or preach God's Word, there is this temptation to use and abuse Scripture to prop up our own ideas or to persuade others of our own concerns and causes. Frankly, this is sobering for me to reflect upon as I stand before you week after week and teach and preach from this book, especially as I handle here the words of this book of Revelation. But listen, this is a danger for all Christians as we read and hear God's Word. Because if you add to the words of this prophecy, then God will add to you the plagues that are written in this book. In other words, you will come under the judgments which will come against the wicked in this world. But there's the opposite danger as well. We must not take away from the words of the book of this prophecy. But again, this means more than simply tearing out the pages we don't like. We can add to God's word and we can also take away from God's word. But how does this happen? Well, it happens often as we rationalize our sin and seek to excuse our sinful living. Which is why Christ warns these churches in these letters, in these letters of Revelation, to the idolatry and the sexual immorality that's been encouraged by the false teachers, which have seduced and fooled them to follow. Yet we continue to be tempted in the same way. That the Christian life doesn't mean I need to put to death my sin and suffer for Christ's sake that I have freedom to indulge in my sin and to seek the world's pleasures and prosperity. But if you take away from these words of Christ, then God will take away your part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. Which means that you will join the damned and be condemned to an eternal torment under God's wrath. Now, does this mean that those who have been saved by Christ can lose their salvation? No. 
Scripture often states that those who have been saved by Christ will persevere in their faith. But this warning of apostasy is real. Because those who corrupt God's word and change its message expose they have never truly believed in Christ, but they are using Christ. You use Christ for your own purposes and perversions. As you take away or add things to his word, which is why then you will be condemned. So let us beware of false teachers as they seek to twist these words. And in doing so, may question Christ's return and coming judgment. Question the reality of hell. Question the eternal punishment that we deserve for our sin. You know, the Apostle Peter warns of this problem in 2 Peter 3, when he writes of scoffers who will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts, and saying, where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation, and we can begin to question and doubt Christ's promise to return. You know, we... Go to sleep every night, assuming we'll wake up in the morning for another day. We make plans for years and even for our children and grandchildren as if decades and centuries will continue to roll on. And there's nothing wrong with making plans. There's wisdom in that. The temptation is that we do not live with the reality that Christ is returning soon. And that we will then enter into his judgment when he returns. Do you see then that this warning then is not only about false teachers, but it's for all Christians. Which means that believers in Christ must not sit in judgment of God's word as we bend its meaning to fit our own sinful desires and our preferred beliefs. We are those who submit to God's word. Who trust all that he has revealed to us. As we continue to live in this sin-filled world. So we've seen the nearness of of Christ's return. We've seen the reward of Christ's return, and we have seen the distortion of Christ's return. But finally, in verses 20 to 21, we come to the encouragement of Christ's return. Where Jesus speaks one last time and says once more, Surely I am coming soon. Brothers and sisters, it is sure because Christ has declared it. And to those of us looking forward to Christ's return, we respond with a hearty Amen, <laughs> which means this is true. May it be so. 
We say amen, acknowledging and agreeing with the truth of what Christ says. How else can we respond to Christ's promise to come quickly? But amen, even so, come, Lord Jesus. Because we pray and look forward to Christ's return as we cry out, Maranatha, which means, O Lord, come. Because we yearn for Christ's return to bring an end to this present evil age so that we will enjoy eternal life dwelling in God's presence in the age to come. This world is not our home. But in Christ, our home is an eternal garden temple city where we will enjoy dwelling with God. So may the Lord Jesus come quickly. Which is why then John closes this book by offering a final prayer to those who hear the words of this prophecy. That the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Brothers and sisters, how can we keep the words of this book? As the words are read, as we hear these words, how can we keep them and do them? Well, it's not in our own strength. It's not through our own effort. But it is by Christ's grace that we have life. And it is through Christ's grace alone that we can persevere in this world until we reign victorious with Christ in the world to come. So it is through the grace of Christ that our hope is a certain hope. And our hope is an expectant hope. And we then persevere through the struggles and the suffering of this world because we are looking forward to the world to come. So Jesus Christ is coming soon. Are you ready for Christ's return? Are you ready for Christ's return? Oh, may no one here be left outside of this glorious city where we will dwell in God's presence forever. But may we all Come to Christ and be saved so that we'll receive our reward when he comes quickly. May we be ready for Christ's return. See, the story of God's history of redemption may come to an end here in the book of Revelation. But there's no reason that we cannot continue to immerse ourselves in this glorious story. Because his story includes us. So when we live by Christ's grace, we then receive this promise that all of those who come to Christ will enjoy an eternity with God that will never end. 
May we find ourselves and lose ourselves in this story. Because this is a story of glory as we have victory in Jesus. Brothers and sisters, let us pray. Oh, Father, what wonderful words you reveal to us here through the book of Revelation. And as we are confronted at the end with how you will respond to them, Lord, oh, Father, may everyone here and everyone who hears these words come to Christ. so that we too will join in this glorious prayer of expectation to come, Lord Jesus, Maranatha. Father, it's because of Christ's death and resurrection for us that we know He is returning. And we can persevere in our faith even as we are tempted through trials, and through troubles, and through tribulation. So may these words from Revelation ever ring in our ears, ever consume our thoughts, and ever inflame our hearts that we will be ready to enjoy an eternity in your presence as we endure the evils of this world. So, Father, we pray for all these things in the name of our returning King, Jesus Christ. Amen.